Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Well, hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne. Thanks for joining me. Uh, every week, we're putting shows out and uh, talking about how our faith connects us to the world that we live in. So our faith is not just a ticket into heaven and a license to hide and ignore the uh, hide from and ignore the kind of uh, troubles of the world we're in. But, uh, you know, this this whole idea that Jesus talked about the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven is not just about going up when we die, but about bringing God's dream to earth uh, while we're alive. And, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of folks with their faith that we end up talking a lot about heaven and ignoring the hells that folks are living in right now. So thanks for uh, tuning in. And I've got a really great guest uh, with me today. He's written a new book. It's actually brand new, isn't it, Josh? Just coming out right now, hot off the press, That's everyday right. activism. Josh Buck's the guest this week. He's a church planter, filmmaker, teacher, entrepreneur and one of the uh the the leaders among many leaders of um a, a relatively new organization called pox uh they're designed to equip a new generation to connect their faith jesus-centered faith with um uh issues of racial justice and uh, center the voices of uh black and brown leaders and folks that have, uh, uh, are changing the narrative of what face about, man. So tell, well, before we get to the book, tell us just a little bit about you and what's going on at Pox. For sure. Thanks for having me on, Shane. My name is Josh. I have a wife, three kiddos. We live in Tucson, Arizona. We've moved all over the place, kind of like a military family, even though we're not kind of ministry taking us all over. I was born in Texas uh, grew up outside of Seattle, moved to California for Bible college, where I really gave my life to Jesus. And from there, that kind of set me on a journey of accepting Jesus, not just as our savior, but our teacher and the, the, the guy who shapes our ethics and how we're supposed to live, which intersected me some with your writings and your organization, Red Letter Christians. And yeah, we love from Jesus. there realizing yeah, that, that's the goal, right? That's the goal. So I, I think from there, uh, really trying to find ways to start organizations that focus on Jesus. So that had to do with church planting uh, in 2009, who moved into inner city Los Angeles to start a beautiful church that is still there, had some health crisis and moved out and started an organization called PAX, or POX, depending on how true we are to the Latin, of course. <laughs> and uh, that organization is dedicated to bring Christian resources to the next generation and try to answer the hard questions that the next gen are, are asking, millennials and, and Gen Zers, and really intersecting the work of Jesus and, and who Christ is with 
questions of uh, meaning and purpose and also what does beauty have to do with the gospel? So if you go on our website, madeforpax.org, we focus a lot on empowering artists to tell the story of who Jesus is. So that's not only writers, poets, we do multimedia storytelling in order to um, bring the gospel to the next generation. So in Christian talk, it's discipleship resources, but we're just trying to help people meet, meet Jesus. Yeah, and this book, Everyday Activism, uh, is is uh, I mean, it's it's very beautiful and well designed, and you can see the art and the edge. I might even say it's hip, uh, but it is <laughs> it's very deeply rooted in scripture and faith. And the irony is, a lot of folks that have hesitations around justice, they start creating these kind of counter narratives. Like I think when we think about race now, at least in the United States, there's a lot of folks listening outside the U.S. But, um, you know, the critical race theory has become this kind of way of avoiding talking about um, racial justice and the fact that sin not only affects individual hearts, but it also affects systems and structures and um, hundreds of years of racism uh, continues to leave uh, residue, you know, not just on our own hearts, but in in our society and almost every aspect of society. But a lot of Christians have a really hard time um, tracking with that because we've, we've often thought of sin as so personal and individual and my choices. um, And Jesus is my personal savior all of which can be true. And also it can be true <laughs> um, yeah. that sin, sin affects systems. So talk about like the biblical roots of that, because you do a lot of work in the book to make it very clear that you're grounded um, in your faith, but you're also grounded in scripture and, and centered around Jesus. For sure, Shane. I think one thing you won't get from the book is talking about specific issues. I think it, it it's easy to get lost in the cultural conversations, whether you're in the U.S. or outside the U.S., if we start with the issues we're passionate about. That's that's okay to be passionate about issues, but it's important that we lay a foundation before we get to the issues. So in part one of my book, I talk about this incredible and radical Hebrew concept of jubilee. And it's, it's rooted in Luke, uh, Luke 4, going back to Isaiah 61, going back to Leviticus 25, where God commands Israel to release the land, release the animals, release anybody who was indentured, release slaves every 50 years in order for there to be a reset with the scales of justice. And to, mm-hmm. and to honor God. It's, it's these two things happening. God wanted it. This is how we honor God. It also resets the scales of justice and enacted God's radical provision and mercy and love for people who were suffering. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing is there's no data in the Old Testament that God's people ever actually, ever actually did that because it was so radical. And, mm-hmm. and then... Isaiah talks about this concept and attaches it to the Messiah. And then Jesus speaks Boom. about his gospel in light of Jubilee. Yeah. In light of the year of the Lord's favor. So for anybody that would say, you know, it's not about history. It's not about systems. It's not about 
what has happened in the past that's about individuals, Jesus brings a gospel that says something very differently. And my big thing in this book is to say, if we're going to talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in a world that's broken and hurting, individuals, people creating broken systems, where does Jesus start? And Jesus locates his understanding of the gospel within this radical Hebrew concept of Jubilee. Yeah. And, you know, as, as we think about that, it's, it's like uh, God's creating rhythms, right, of justice, rhythms of rest. Uh, good. The, the Sabbath, you know, every seven years, you're also supposed to do stuff every seven days, every seven years, every, you know, uh, every seven times seven, you know, uh, kind of every generation, yeah. you know, 50 years, you're to do this. And, and it was like anticipating that we will create systemic injustice, right? We will have a few people that have a whole lot of accumulated wealth and property and a whole bunch of people who don't have what they need, this vision of this day, our daily bread. So God systemically like tries to structure it into creation and into our souls that we're to release people from debt, you know, to set enslaved people right. free, to to redistribute land, which was sort of the, you know, capital and property at the time. So it was all about. So, you know, people with Christians have a hard, hard way of thinking about systemic injustice. It's hard to wiggle around the Jubilee. And some people will say they, they we talk, we dodge it, Josh, with that. Uh, well, they never really did it. And I, I love uh my, my friend Ched Myers says Christians have never really done the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but that doesn't mean That's it wasn't, right. doesn't mean it wasn't Jesus's <laughs> strong command and vision for how we are to live in the world. So um, that's not that's a good right. project, right? But you kind of go, okay, that's that's a you know hundreds of years ago. What would it look like if we practiced it today? And there are folks Jubilee that are trying to forgive. Um, international debt that are inviting us to kind of imagine what it could look like to do some re reparations or some healing of the wounds to indigenous people that, you know, obviously yeah. um, Jubilee has some implications for all this. So, so, you know, how do you kind of bring some of these really old ideas and you know, get the dust off of yeah. them and say, what does that mean for us now? You're kind of doing that work in your and book. That's really yeah, that's what it, really what I speak to, Shane, in the book, because in the Old Testament, it was very top down in terms of the leaders of Israel and God instituting this. And, and that was something that Israel struggled to enact, even though, like you said, it was a command. And what we see in the New Testament is, is it happening from the bottom up? And that is everyday people who have busy lives, who are broken sometimes feeling they're too broken to make a difference, who don't have the right degree, who might not be a public speaker, that God empowers those people to be ordinary radicals, everyday activists. This is a language we use, that mm. God is empowering normal people, ordinary people in the work of Jubilee, no matter where they are at. And the question is, well, what does this look like? You have to look at Luke and Acts. This is the two-part series that Luke, a doctor converted to Christianity wrote, and the manifesto is Luke 4. This is the thesis statement. And what we see over the book of Luke and Acts is Jesus mobilizing us, everyday people, for the work of Jubilee. Mm. And, and this is where I transition to seven practices from the life of Jesus. A few of them, for example, are nonviolence, rest, forgiveness, empowerment, 
And I narrowed it down to seven <laughs> radical practices from the life of Jesus. It's hard to narrow it down to seven, but seven practices. And if we can enact these on a daily basis, we can see social change and we can see Jubilee. Yeah. And, and, you know, our work with common prayer and new monasticism and some of the other movements we're affiliated with, with rather our Christians, we, we have 12, you know, one for each month. So we remember you got it down to seven though, which is a magic number. And uh, (laughs) go, go into a little bit more detail about one of them. I mean, you know, we don't have time to do all seven, but let's talk about one that strikes you as particularly relevant um, or urgently critical for us right now. And we're talking, by the way, y'all, we're talking with Josh Buck, whose new book, Everyday Activism, goes into these seven practices um, that can create a better world. So um, we're going to talk about one of them now. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. The one that I I would like to highlight right now is nonviolence. I'll I'll say that I come from a long line of, of fighters, the Buck family, is fought in almost every major U.S. war, fought for the Confederacy in the South during the Civil War. And coming to a place where I read Jesus and I read the Sermon on the Mount and and realize that if Jesus isn't only my Savior, but my teacher, then Jesus is allowed to shape the way that I live. And there are these clear teachings on nonviolence. And in the book, I talk about the fact that Jesus taught this, modeled it, the disciples of Jesus taught it too and applied it in their setting, you know, Peter and Paul, and then the early church lived it out. And so mm-hmm. we see this normalization of enemy love. And one thing that I think would be very helpful for people as they read my book, it's one thing to say, uh, love our enemies to so don't commit violence to them. In some ways, I feel like in America, that that's the, that's the no brainer. I think in our moment where we're increasingly tribal and we're increasingly violent towards each other online, what does it look like to restore the dignity of the people we disagree with Mm -hmm. and to fight injustice and to fight systems and at the exact same time refuse to turn evil for evil and return evil for evil when we're interacting with others. Mm -hmm. And I think this is so much a part of the message of Jesus that there's this tension of living nonviolently and and fighting injustice and resisting injustice. And we see this all the way up to the cross, yet at the same time, not being willing to dehumanize the people we disagree with. Mm -hmm. So if we're restoring dignity for all, we're also restoring dignity for our enemies. Again, not meaning we agree with them, not meaning we endorse what they do, but how do we live in such a way as to embody that message on a daily basis. And that's one thing I talk about in my chapter on nonviolence. Yeah. And I was uh, thinking about this, you know, we're, we're, as we're recording this, we're kind of in the heat of our midterm elections that our country is as divided, you know, as it's ever been, at least since we've been alive. And, and uh, increasingly it feels like those, those kind of uh, fault lines are all all over the world, you know, uh, around so many issues. I think of what's happening in Iran and um, the, the the women really having an uprising there of, of liberation and freedom and challenging the That's powers. Right. Um, uh, but I, I was looking, at, I was on this call, one of these many Zoom calls, uh, Josh, where these experts on democracy were talking about the dangers that we are facing as a country. And they're particularly talking about the U S but they've studied democracy all around the world. And um, one of the things that we talked about is how 
when it comes to the left and right, you know, in our our culture, the you know Republicans and Democrats, not only do people think the other party or the other um, option are wrong, but they actually think they're evil and that the world would be better without them. I mean, we're talking about like half of our population, you know. And they also went wow. on this group group in particular went on to say like, what are the things that make a dangerous democracy? And they were things like. Um, uh, having armed citizenry, which we have more than more guns than people, you know, we, um, these political divisions that are the smaller number of parties, the more, you know, so now we have two parties, we're radically divided. And and you, you, the only way you further your career is by emphasizing what you don't share in common. So all that's exacerbating, like, pretty deep uh, uh, problems already. Um, And there were a couple of others, like, um, uh, not having the same truths held in common or trusting the media or even trusting the electoral process. So we basically had every light on the radar except for one dude. And it was um, a cataclysmic event, like um, sort of a catastrophic uh, event, like an assassination or, you know, Lord forbid something like that, yeah. or, or someone just saying, I'm not going to concede the election, whatever it is like, then that often historically is what has created um civil wars and, you know, the fall of democracy and stuff, coups and all that. So, I mean, it's not, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not a like, uh, you know, a doomsayer. I, I, I have a coffee yeah. cup, man, that says um, relentless optimist. So I have a lot of hope, but man, our politics um, are, we're, we're in a pretty rough way. So talk to me a little bit about how you navigate that and stay centered on Jesus. I mean, you and I have both done work around that. We did a project called Jesus for President, but I think there's, it's really, right. um, it's hard to navigate things that are so important and have huge implications, like on immigrant brothers and sisters, like this is uh, like, you know, um, gun laws right now, or the, you know, so many of the things that we're working on, these are not just issues. There's people's lives that are on the line and our faith calls us to yeah. care about that. Right. But not to like just hunker down in the cultural yeah. and spiritual civil war that we're in the middle of. Yeah. I'm, I'm also alarmed at the trend lines doing research on polarization, tribalism and the political divides and, 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 I think our solution, and this is the point of everyday activism, is that we can make a difference from the bottom up. We don't have to wait for the politicians or activists or famous people to get their act together to begin following. We can make a difference now. And so to me, the solution is looking at the movement of Jesus and harnessing those lessons for this cultural moment. Here's what I mean by that, Shane. Jesus decided to recruit ordinary fishermen, Mm. a tax collector, and a zealot. And these people would have a hard time getting along, even though they were all of Jewish descent, because the guys that are fishing, James and John, were being taxed like crazy by a guy named Matthew, who was another disciple of Jesus, taxing them. And then you got Simon the Zealot, who was a part of a revolutionary group that was mobilizing to commit terrorist acts against Rome. And Jesus is like, you guys all have very different political positions within Judaism, and I'm going 
to galvanize you and unify you in my kingdom under Jubilee. I'm bringing you into my movement and I'm mobilizing you to make a difference in this upside down kingdom where Jesus is king, Jesus is president, Jesus is our political leader. And so it starts on the ground, Shane. It starts with us right now, um, not falling into these dominant narratives of left and right, because that's as confusing as the disciples saying, well, are you in a, are you a, a Sadducee or are you a Pharisee? And he's like, I, I confound the politics of what's going on right now. And so those of you who are listening, if you haven't read Jesus for, for president, the politics question, the solution is, is simple, but hard to execute on. It, it's simple to say Jesus is our king and therefore the church is our al- alternative political movement. Now, what does that look like in action? I'll just say this, the higher we climb politics mountain in America, the more poisonous the air gets and the trickier it becomes. But we have to understand first and foremost on the ground how to get the work done. And I talk about that in everyday activism. Yeah, we got like five minutes left. Great conversation we're having with Josh Buck. Thanks for joining us. If you're just and his new book is uh, Everyday Activism. And um, uh, you, you, so this this idea that um, change comes from the bottom up, I've, I've sometimes liked uh, the analogy of boiling water, you know, that uh, it doesn't just come one big bubble, but it starts to steam and simmer and you can see it start to boil and little bubbles first. And that's how social movements happen. And it feels like that's that's kind of starting to happen. And there's been moments where we felt that in our, our own culture. Um, uh, I mean, even recently, you know, it feels like there's a real desire to be activative and, and to do something, especially young people, you know, are fed up like with the old excuses <laughs> of why we can't do yep. something about the environment or why, you know, we have to have a hundred people die every day from guns because of the second amendment or whatever, you know, just crazy. So I love it. Um, and yeah, I think one of the challenges is like um, keeping things really grounded in, in Jesus. Um, and, and that's, you know, what we're all about at red letter Christians is why we, te- we, we're such natural partners with, with you and Pax and, Tell us a little bit more of like how you feel like we can do that, especially when Jesus um, has been really distorted. You know, I mean, we've got politicians that are literally y'all. I don't know if you've seen it on the the internets, but we have politicians saying if Jesus had had an AR-15, it might have ended differently for him. You know, (laughs) you're going, what in the world? It's that that old saying, uh, God created us in God's image and we decided to return the favor, right? And we remake God into whatever image we want God to be. So um, talk about, you know, how folks can like, you know, not give up on Jesus despite the embarrassing things that that Christians keep doing to distort Jesus into who we want him to be. Yeah, I think we need to stick to the historical Jesus. So much of what I'm trying to do in the book is help us understand who Jesus is in his historical context, because when you take Jesus and you place him historically, and we do the Bible interpretation to understand who Jesus is um, biblically, it becomes harder to distort Jesus. It becomes harder to transform Jesus into a pundit of the left and a pundit of the right. And Mm. so that's a lot of the work that we're looking to do. And then 
And then at the end of the book, I have a justice matrix and, and the appendix where anybody who's looking to get involved in specific issues, they can help identify what issues that they want to be involved in. Is this prevention work? Is this intervention? Is this reclamation? Is this local work? Is this regional? Is this international work? And then I would encourage people to look for churches, organizations, NGOs, nonprofits, for-profit companies that they can engage on those particular issues. So first, we need to get back to the historical Jesus. And second, we really need to um, discern the issues that God is calling us to and partner with the right people and organizations that are doing it like Jesus. Yeah, man, in the last minute or so, like uh, I, I get asked this a lot. I know how I respond, but I want to hear how you respond to um how you keep your hope alive. Um, it, it seems like a question a lot of people are asking, but it also seems like a very reasonable question. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot lot that kind of makes you exhausted. So what are some, maybe yeah. one or two ways that you keep your hope alive? That's really good, Shane. Uh, I would say people who are Christian activists or people who have a deep heart to see Jubilee enacted um, have a heavy heart and they, they teeter between hope and despair <laughs> and they mm. teeter between having a great day and feeling like they're swimming upstream and they're drowning. And I want to say to those who are listening that are in that, in, in that situation, um, we see this in the life of Christ. We see Jesus have a deep hope for change and also at times despairing and having a difficult time. And, Jesus is in solidarity with us in the despair, just as much as the hope. Yeah. I mean, and even so just where, because, where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, God feeling the absence of God, but keep surrounded yeah. with people that keep your hope alive, y'all. And keep singing that song. This hope that I have, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. It's been a great conversation with Josh Buck. Get his book, Everyday Activism, and check out the wonderful work of Pox or packs. Thanks, All Shane. Right. We'll see you soon. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.